In the name of the one holy and triune God. Amen. This is the night. This is the night when the pews are usually filled a full hour before the service even begins, even as the acolytes rehearse and, and curtains are draped at the front doors to seal the last of the vesper light, and ushers distribute candles and prepare folding chairs for the overflow crowd. This is the night when the devotion of altar guild and flower guild gleams in brass and silver among fields of lilies and cascades of blossoms, when the choir swells with the sound of brass and bells ring in alleluias. This is the night when distant family and friends come together to witness the baptism of a loved one and to celebrate with a festive breakfast in the parish hall. This is the night when the church bulges with life, when the new fire is kindled and the light from the paschal candle spreads from one handheld candle to another until all our faces are illumined with the very light of Christ. This is the night we proclaim the good news, Christ is risen, the Lord is risen indeed. The good news we proclaim hasn't changed, but the world around us has. Most of the Christian world will not celebrate Easter in our churches this year. Instead, we'll worship in our homes or online. It is one way in the face of pandemic illness and death that we can show our love of life and neighbor to care for the most vulnerable among us to protect and support our medical community, and to express a solidarity that transcends isolation. It is a good thing that we are quarantined, but, but how we miss you, and how we know you miss being together. The cardboard likenesses here in the pews greet uh, Evan and me and the staff anytime we enter this space. And every time, every time, they take me by surprise. I turn on the lights of the nave and suddenly see the occupied pews. And then I suffer the feeling, like out of a nightmare, they suffer the feeling that I'm late for worship. As if, as if you have been waiting here all along. And my heart warms, and I am grateful, thankful for your whimsy, moved by your desire to occupy this place, to keep vigil through the long, empty hours. But it's not only the cardboard cutouts. There's a very real sense that you are here with us. We've all noticed it. There is a fullness when we preach and pray and sing that is far greater than the sparse handful gathered here. It makes me wonder whether longing itself has presence. Our longing for you and your longing to be here. God's longing for us. 
And maybe that's how we enter this most sacred night together. Maybe it's not so much a sacred place we occupy tonight as it is a sacred time. The philosopher Charles Taylor has written of sacred time, those, those moments when time as we know it fades back to reveal a deeper reality. The Greek word for time as we experience it is chronos, chronological time. Kairos is time as only God knows it, time that reveals God's saving acts, God's in-breaking action. Time that punctuates Kronos, just as it did in all those stories we recounted this evening by candlelight. When Taylor speaks of the eternity of God, where God stands contemporary with the whole flow of history, he uses, by example, the Easter Vigil. The Easter Vigil, he explains, brings us back in the vicinity of the original Easter, closer even than last year's summer day. Maybe the best we can do then in this time when refrigerator trucks hover outside hospitals as makeshift morgues and mourners can't even gather to bury their dead is to surrender fully to sacred time and to live more completely than ever into this holiest moment in the gospel story. To occupy together that sacred dawn a time of chaos and uncertainty, a time of earth shock and angels and people in charge falling stiff with fear and the stunned bewilderment of an empty tomb. Perhaps we should strive to bring into that space how we know ourselves as we are today in our fear, our confusion, our numbness, our sorrows, and our loneliness. May we feel in these days something of what Mary Magdalene and the other Mary surely felt at the mouth of the tomb and what the disciples must have felt in their shuttered hideaway. Like them, we sometimes feel frightened and unmoored. In response to their anguish and fear, the angel invites the two Marys to look and see, and gesturing toward the empty tomb, tells them not to be afraid, as if to say, take a breath and remember what Jesus told you about his death and resurrection. They had not understood, no one had, when Jesus had said these things about his having to suffer and die in order to rise again. But now, maybe now, it might begin to ring true. Maybe now, when their hearts had been broken and their expectations shattered, they could begin to see the deeper reality at work in their midst the resurrecting power of God, which takes the shattered pieces of broken dreams and, and makes something altogether new. Most of the time, we come to Easter full of joy, planning Easter egg hunts with children and feasts with family and friends. And this year is different. 
but perhaps we can find in the shock and pain of these difficult days an opportunity to more fully return to that first Easter morning, the one more than two millennia ago. Perhaps we can find in that first morning both a kinship to our own time and a gut-level recognition of the very Easter message we come together every spring to embrace and celebrate and proclaim. This is the night when Christ broke the bonds of sin and death and rose victorious from the grave. Don't be afraid, Jesus told Mary Magdalene and the other Mary and anyone else who would listen on that first Easter, even, even as he says it to us today. Don't be afraid of emptiness and absence, of loss and pain, of illness and death. Let them be instead visceral reminders of what Jesus has promised. That we belong to him and that he will always be with us, doing what God does best, bringing hope from fear and life from death. May the longings we suffer in these strange days draw us nearer to God and nearer to one another. Alleluia, the Lord is risen. Amen.